You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Father, thank you for this day. Um, uh, as ever, Lord, for your mercies and your grace renewed uh, each moment. Um, uh, it is true that we do not live by bread alone, but uh, by the, uh, the very word which proceed from you. Speak to us now and stop our ears and... Uh, let our eyes behold you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, good morning again to everybody. Um, walking through uh, this series, kind of in the middle of it now, uh, a short series on John, by no means a comprehensive, not going verse by verse. John's a, a wonderful gospel, 21 chapters, very dense, very thick. It's not quite a 40,000-foot overview, but we're hovering somewhere around 726 feet, I think. Uh, uh, and today in John 3, where obviously John 3.16 resides, probably uh, arguably the most famous verse, at least in the last 50 years of the Bible. Um, and then like last week, I'm kind of in this this kick. I don't know if we will next week, but looking at some, uh, some of the art throughout the centuries um, to kind of help us have a visual aid, which hopefully becomes a hearing aid as we hear hear the word. So, so with all that, just a kind of a refresher where we were last week, looking at John's prologue, and I made the big statement. Um, I didn't make it up. I just repeat things from other people that if you were looking for a key to put into the lock that you could then turn uh, to say, how do I? What's a passage of scripture that might help me in a really particular way um, understand the rest of the word. Um, so big nickel word, a hermeneutical key. Hermeneutics is just interpretation. Um, you, you, you can talk about the hermeneutics of constitutional law, how you interpret the text over the centuries. And so people that approach the word, you can have you know, the, the question of what's, what's the hermeneutical Grid, or what's your hermeneutical base, or what's your hermeneutical bias, or what's your hermeneutical key? Um, so I would say a hermeneutical key for hearing the rest of the scripture. Pretty big, pretty big statement. John one, um, especially one through eighteen, would be a, a pretty good exhibit A. Um, there could be others, um, but John one, uh, where it speaks of the pre-existent God in the beginning, and then before the beginning, God. So there's already a subject of the sentence before the beginning of everything. So right there, we've got to reckon with that. There's a sense that there is a a being, God himself, who exists before and outside and beyond time. Uh, And he is the actor. And he wants to do something. He wants to say something. And this God has a very specific characteristic of being a word. A logos, a unifying word, a word that is living and active, that has a sense uh, that it's hears that we can also appreciate. Um, but certainly, the original hears uh, would understand that this this word is not just a a neutral word um, that has a specific function of 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 what you might call it first order functioning um, of being the thing, being something that ties all things together. An echo, uh, as as uh, as the Book of Acts would say, that in Him or in this Word, all things uh, uh, come together. It's in this Word that we live and move and have our being. That sort of Word. And then the second function of a Word, like any Word, is just to communicate. There is a spoken 
ness to it, where it proceeds from a mouth and it falls on an ear. But this particular word, you would say acts. And so there's a speech act that happens with this. I need to get on. I didn't mean to go through this far. But there's an activity to the word. That is, it falls on the ear, something happens. That there's a livingness to it. There's an activity to it. This word is personified as if a person can go and run after somebody with feet and grab them with hands and turn them around and do things that this word is living and active. It has feet and it runs after me. It has hands and it does things. It turns me. And this word, which was before all things and is in all things and shall be beyond all things, then became flesh. And it dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And that was really where we tried to go last week, to have this deep appreciation that that massive statement, which I hope we take in some ways for granted, should not be taken for granted. That in a certain sense, this word which has feet and hands and it runs after me and it grabs us and it shakes us out of ourselves, And we recognize that I shouldn't take it as, you know, as self-evident that this word is living and active or this word who is God himself. This word is God and this word was God, um, is with God and this word was God. Uh, it's not at all self-evident that God should make himself known. And that's where we looked at um, uh, John the Baptist in this famous piece, the Eisenheim altarpiece um, in northern France, uh, where we especially looked at, I want to give you a sense, obviously the, the massive crucified Christ is the, the dominant motif, but we want to see this guy, John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the uh, amongst all who were born of women, the greatest who ever lived. But then John the Baptist said, uh, I'm not worthy to untie the sandals for the one who comes after me, who in fact was before me, <laughs> which is crazy. And this is how it all begins to tie together, that this word who was made flesh, who was before all things came into being, is now even after, about three months later, uh, John the Baptist was born and then Jesus was born. And, and John was trying to communicate all that. With this long bony finger, as Karl Barth would call it, uh, pointing away from himself and always pointing to, get this in the right order, to the crucified Christ. You could say that John the Baptist is each one of us or it's even the, the reference away from himself and pointing to the scripture. That in Christ alone, in the Word alone, sola scriptura, solo Christo, all the different solas that we like to talk about, pointing away from himself with this word here, I must decrease so that he may increase. Uh, from John 3.30. We're not going to get that far into John 3. But it's, um, it's the ministry of each one of us. Certainly the ministry of John the Baptist, pointing away from himself to this word that was made flesh, full of grace and truth. For the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, no one has ever seen God. Jesus Christ, the only begotten, he has made him known. And so now we have this, and Paul ties this together with the echo, that I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the word made flesh who was pierced for our transgressions. And that's where John's going to go, and we're going to follow him today in John 3.30. That's just a way... I like to kind of kind of go backwards and tie things together each week. Um, uh, and so this story, um, this, uh, this series, excuse me, that you may believe that Christ gives himself in the word and Christ gives himself as the word made flesh, as Christ gives himself as the word made flesh who was crucified for us 
and on behalf of us for our sins and raised for our justification. Uh, that this is God preaching himself. This is God making himself known because it is not at all self-evident that God, as he exists in himself, should have any interest in doing that whatsoever. <laughs> Why would God, as he exists in himself, think, I need to let other people know about me because he's perfect and complete and not lacking anything. God has no needs. So he certainly doesn't need to let himself known. It is his graciousness because it's just the character of God, the nature of God. God is being the only free thing that ever was or is or shall be who freely makes himself known. No compunction, no karma, no, no debt, um, uh, no mistakes. God does it because he wants to. And this is how he wants to do it. And this is Eisenheim. And it's a great painting. And it's one that we should, when you say Eisenheim, you should, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I hope to go there one day. I've not been here, but I'd like to. Um, so that's, um, uh, that you may believe, uh, being given this gift, uh, and then to tie this with our, our three verses that sort of are our theme verses. From John 1, 7, that John the Baptist speaks, uh, or speaking of John the Baptist, he, John the Baptist, the one who reveals the long bony finger pointing away from himself and towards Christ, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Or as, John, as Jesus himself says in John 6, uh, in answer to the question, what must we do? Some of the, the followers said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus very abruptly says, uh, the work of God is this, that you believe in he who he has sent. Um, or in then John 21, the end of the book, which really is John's theme, uh, these words, all this was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is where we are. So with that, moving forward to John 3.16, thought it'd get us in the sort of the rhythm a little bit, because you can't read John 3 and think about John 3.16, and it's really, I was thinking about this, and I haven't, I don't know this exactly, but um, certainly in around the room in most of our lifetimes. This is where this has happened. John 3.16 hasn't always been uh, kind of what it is now. I don't think it even is now what it was, say, 25 years ago. Chuck Colson, a lot of people remember Chuck Colson, who was in um, uh, Richard Nixon's cabinet, and he went to prison as part of the Watergate scandal, and then he was converted in prison. He wrote a book called Born Again. And then a couple years later, Billy Graham, the wonderful Billy Graham, wrote a book, How to Be Born Again. And John 3.16 began to show up a lot in the national consciousness of at least the United States. But not to think that it's only 50 years old, that this isn't simply a product of the 70s. Again, Thomas Cramner, we can think about this as he wrote the comfortable words which we recite um, each communion service here, that the second comfortable word is John 3.16. Um, right after, come unto me all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and, uh, and our Lord also spake, uh, I'm putting myself on the, the, uh, uh, the, the seat here. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. John 3.16, it's a, it's, a, it's a worthy verse to carry the weight of the mantle. If you had to say, what's the most famous verse in the Bible, at least in the English-speaking world in 2000? 19. You have a hard time saying John 3.16 is not right up there. Psalm 23 could be one. Philippians 4.13. Um, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. 
the love chapter from uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, shall not boast. Those are all there. But John 3.16, it's, uh, it's pretty near. So the sporting events, and again, these are sort of 70s, 80s. It really found its moment with the rainbow guy. Some of us, will, I think there was a 30 for 30 on him. Tim Tebow, of course, wore it in his eye black when he was playing for Florida. Um, there's the rainbow guy. You find it out and about. I used to ride my bike a lot, and I do. I miss this. We've been out and about in, in sort of the Alabama countryside, and you come across, I wish I took these, I didn't, uh, barns or uh, other telephone poles and all that. And I actually think these are art. I mean, I'd I, I put it out there. You know, there's, some, there, there's, there's something that's really being communicated here in the rough and ruggedness of, of, a, of a telephone pole in the middle of nowhere and you come across something like Jesus died so that you could live. But then it comes across also at the end of the road, I will meet God with read John 3.16. It's down there. Um, sometimes it's, it may not be the most effective means of communication. I would grant that. But uh, for, for those who already believe, it stirs me a little bit. Um, so just to think about John 3.16 as it comes through before we read uh, the passage. Uh, but, uh, John one, John three one through twenty one. Any comments or thoughts on what I said? It's not at all evident that God should disclose Himself, but God chooses because it's in His very being to be gracious, to reveal Himself, and He does that by saying something. He's a word, and He communicates, and that word falls on your ear, and it does something. We're going to hear the word "behold" again. Uh, uh, where he shakes us and he says, Amen, Amen. He says that a lot, which we translate as truly, truly, or verily, verily, or all the other times where in the scriptures and it speaks that repetition. It's usually a repetition of just Amen, Amen. We'll talk about that some too. Any comments or thoughts before we get going? This is a piece um, from Nikolai Gay as I was looking at this. Uh, thought I might know what one of my springtime classes are. Um, uh, he's, he's a really interesting artist, and I'd like to know more about him, so that's typically how it starts when I'm, I think I'll do a series on, or two classes or something like that on this, this Russian artist from the last part of the 19th century. This is simply called um, Nicodemus Comes to See Christ at Night, um, where Christ is on the left, and Nicodemus, uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, that would have been one of the 70 men, they all would have been men who were the rulers of Israel. Um, so in other words, they'd be the ruling body for every Jew who was alive at the time. Uh, and so a huge responsibility. And he comes to Christ at night for lots of reasons that we could conjecture. Uh, but uh, the, the, the artist, Nikolai Gay, uh, I think is in the same vein as the, the evangelist, John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John strongly dualistic, strongly binary, almost jarringly so. Binary, meaning it's this or that. It's black or white. It's day or it's night. You're alive, you're dead. It's flesh or it's spirit. Um, uh, uh, he speaks in uh, not a lot of gray. I think it makes us make a decision. Um, uh, belief, unbelief. Children of darkness, children of light. Um, uh Belief unto everlasting life or perish. Uh, John 3.16. Um, we get this. Oddly enough, Nicodemus is uh, much more lit. You have the source of light kind of coming from behind Christ. 
to because uh, it comes at night and so it's dark otherwise but the light of Christ is coming into the room the light of the world is coming into the room and Nicodemus taken this is probably John 3 would be my guess um, uh, uh the word that truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again or from above, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus, very angular, his beard, his nose, his hair, it looks wild, pointing finger. Uh, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Uh, where Nicodemus, taken aback, um, that's how I read it, with this, I think this is very interesting, this glimmer of light in Christ's eye, um, which doesn't fit where the light is, uh, where the uh, the light of the world being pierced in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it uh, coming around. So I think all that is probably somewhere in the mind of the artist, but I thought it would be fun to have that up there as we read John 3. So shall we? Um, if you have your Bible, you can look at it. John 3, 1 through 29. Excuse me, my mouth is dry, so sorry for smacking. Um, another title, if you want to be cute and fun, if there's Earth, Wind, and Fire, the great band. You could say this was uh, Birth, Wind, and Light um, as a title for the passage here because he speaks about birth, um, being born again, so first birth, second birth, uh, wind, the play on wind, we should all know this. Uh, uh, you should not necessarily know it now, but not to tell you, the word for wind and spirit is the same word, pneuma. We get the word pneumatic, like a pneumatic hammer, an air hammer. Um, uh, the pneuma of God would be the spirit of God, but you could also just say, oh, it's very pneuma today. It's very windy today. Um, and so there's a, there's a great play on words in, in several parts of this passage. So birth, wind, and light. Children of light, children of darkness, light. Dark, dark symbolizing um, death and chaos, destruction and absence of God, going all the way back to in the beginning. Um, the earth was formless and void, and the first word of God that speaks from his mouth that has an effect is let there be light, and there was light. And so light and darkness is definitely a, a powerful theme. So with all that in the background, John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs unless uh, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, or Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless one is born again or from above, he cannot see the, the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus goes strictly literal, and then Jesus doesn't let up. He answered, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? It's a good answer, by the way. <laughs> Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, says it again. That's the word of repentance. Remember, that's, that's the word living, has hands and turning me. Truly, truly, I say to you. Oh, now I see. Hear that every time he says that. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. It's an interesting aside. Is this Jesus speaking on behalf of the disciples or Jesus speaking as the, the third person plural, first person plural of he and the spirit? It's a, it's a great question. You know, if you're speaking just textually, I prefer to think that. It's, a, it's, a, it's another way to see the Trinity at work here. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. We'll stop there. Um, uh, no, well, well, we put that up. Um, no, let's keep that up for a minute. Um, so, working through some of the text to get down to, uh, especially 14, 15, and 16. Um, uh, what I want to highlight. Um, Hardy said it. He preached it here three times. He'll keep saying it. All the gospels say this. Truly, truly, I say to you. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. As King James would say it. Um, my humble deposit. Is for us to hear that word is the, the the active word where God is repenting us, where He's turning us. Where repentance has the sense of being turned from sin, turned from darkness to light, turned from death to life, turned by the word of God towards God Himself, turned from the flesh to the Spirit. Uh, the work of the gospel to receive, to be received as redeemed sinners into the finished work of Christ. This is the work of God that you would believe. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, truly, truly, come unto me. Oh, and just hear that word that follows after it. Another way to hear that is every time he says that, it's Jesus wanting to make us sober, bring us out of our drunken state, bring us out from our default state, as he says later, of, of, already, of being already condemned. Our default mode is condemnation, children of darkness. We delight in the darkness. We're photostrobic. We're photophobic, excuse me, where we're afraid, phobia, of the light, photos. Uh, we're like roaches, to put it really, really blunt. We scatter as soon as the light turns on. That's what the Bible says. Um, uh, the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. That's the verse we didn't read, verse 19. That's us. And the word doesn't want to leave us there very graciously because it's in the nature of God to be graceful. It's not something he chooses to do. He just is. He can't not not do it because God is grace, because God is love, because God reveals himself to turn us to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, be turned. Feel, hear, experience, see, taste, touch the finished work of God in Christ for you. 
that thing which you can't forget, uh, that sin which you can't forget. God says, I now, as I've turned you to me, I can't remember what it was. You know, you are washed clean as white as snow. You know, come unto me. Uh, God so loved the world. Um, uh, if any man sin, um, I, I am your advocate. Um, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Um, uh, for this sake, I came into the world. Hear that every time he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then our word is, is something like Nicodemus. Tell me, how can these things be? Turn me one more time. And he says, come into me. You know, I have you. You know, uh, we'll hear this later. Um, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do all things. As a branch is connected to the vine, I will supply all that you need. And you need now have no fear. Here's the gift. Fear not. um, Fret not. Be not anxious. Come and rest. So that's all the word of behold and truly and truly and truly. Um, interesting that Mark went here in his sermon. This happens a lot. But I have visible evidence that I had done this even before he said it. Um, this whole idea of the Son of Man in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just like what Mark said, it was a great sermon. If you haven't heard it, you'll hear this. If you did hear it, this is an echo. Funnily enough, when we hear the word Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title about himself, That's him talking about his divinity. When you hear the Son of God, that's really Jesus talking about his his humanity. David, the great king, um, was often described as the Son of God. We could be described as sons and daughters of God. Paul does several times. And that really, although it feels like that should be uh, more of a signification of his divinity, uh, that's just saying the same way that Adam is a son of God and we're all descendants of Adam, so we share, as it were, through adoption in, in, in that divine sonship. And it's really sort of in your humanity, God comes to you. But the title Son of Man has this whole different echo. And this is a William Blake painting, which is kind of fun, called Ancient of Days. And this is the fantastic uh, vision of Daniel. There's Revelation in the New Testament and there's Daniel in the Old Testament. There's a few others. But if you want some really cool, fantastical visions with all sorts of crazy things going on, and Doug's class on Revelation is about to resume. It is really good, by the way. Um, Daniel's your book, if you kind of like that. And here's just this piece, piece, um, piece from Daniel 7. As I looked, this is Daniel speaking, thrones were placed. He's seeing into the heavenly heavenly spheres, just like John does in Revelation. Thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days. That's another name for God. So this is God himself, Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. So here's Christ. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, and now we hear our fifth grade pageant, I hope you hear this word. I love that pageant. I mean, the, the, the words are so good. This is lifted straight out. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. <laughs> um, uh, this is what Jesus has in mind. This particular passage from Daniel. He says, The one spoken of who was presented to the Ancient of Days and was given that kingdom and power and dominion. 
that might that will not be that that will last forever and shall not be destroyed. I am He. Remember, ego I me. I am. Jesus is parading that all over the place where He's coming around, and He says then, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we're going to save that for next week because I think that's just worth it, and this is the teaser. Um, which I had the privilege of being with some people in Weimar, Germany, um, the Weimar altarpiece, but we'll sort of circle back and we'll do a little bit because that'll also set up really well the uh, the healing at the pool of Siloam um, where Jesus talks, do you want to be healed? Healed. Uh, and, uh, and a great little Thornton Wilder um, three-minute play, so we'll read it. It's not hard. Kind of angel that troubled the waters. Um, but we'll look at all that as it sets up the Son of Man who... Uh, 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 as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. And it's right here. Interestingly, maybe that's why we have our dollar sign the way it is. You ever think about that? The S isn't really an S. It's a snake. And you got the snake, the stake. Um, or the caduceus or the saint, A, somebody or another, which is in like the, the medical sign. You look upon the snake and, and the instrument of your death has now become your healing. Here's the cross. <laughs> an instrument of death. Or gaze upon this your salvation, and it shall be the healing of the nations. Um, so we'll look at all that. And then Christ's very direct question to the invalid for 38 years, which will be our question to each one of us squarely. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, do you want to be healed? It's an arresting question. It's not one you can squirm away from. And so we'll play with all that next week somehow. Um, maybe a minute or two for a question or a thought or anything else, I'll go back to ancient of days if you want, just because that's kind of cool. I like to think that you came at night because you, you mentioned that the words fall in your ear and it's revealed. Mm-hmm. And I think just in where we live, we want to control things and it's the word is not discovered, mm. it's revealed. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit's revealing it. I think he's so moved that he has to go now. Yeah, that's and good. it's not like he can call him and be like, hey, I'm headed over. Yeah. Text him. Yeah. It's dark. There's no street lights. That's great, He's Kelly. Going yeah. yeah. In the dark. Yeah. I mean, he could be going because he doesn't want people to see him, but I'm going to go with it. He's going because he's that moved. Yep. Yep. And Jesus isn't like he's got his notes and he's prepared. Yep. Yep. Now's the time. Now's he's got to yeah. know the answer. But I love that he even brings it back and he brings up Moses mm-hmm. and snake because that's what he knows. Mm-hmm. He knows the Old Testament so well. Mm-hmm. So he's meeting mm-hmm. him where he is. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's right. Echo. 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 Water in the spirit. Look at all that. Mm-hmm. And, but he says, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? And people like, oh, shoot, <laughs> my comp. I'm feeling my comp. So, uh, All right. Anybody else? Um, written, I love, you know, gosh, John's good. Um, let me pray. Lord, uh, where I am wrong, correct me. Um, but where your word would go forth, uh, truly, truly, uh, say and speak unto us so that our ears would hear and our eyes would see and our hearts would receive you, um, the healing for our souls. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.